covering sports in the Midwest. It's the Midwest Sports Network. MWSN.net. The three branches of government are local sports, Southwest Ohio, and not spending all the time talking about mundane garbage. There's also a fourth branch, not spending all the time talking about Ohio State. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not for the government. That's the branches of this podcast. As it's episode 189 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and we have a large episode for you. Not only will you get your football recaps and what's up for this upcoming weekend, but you'll get a lot more sports. How about some baseball, soccer, volleyball, hockey, basketball? No matter what, it's on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly audio podcast that covers all sports in Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio, and covers areas from Norfolk, Kentucky and the Ohio River up to Lima and Allen County. From Richmond, Indiana and the surrounding Whitewater Valley region to Madison County and surrounding areas. If you want local sports, this is your source. To find your favorite way of listening to this podcast, as well as visiting the Tee Public and Redbubble shops and find the latest episodes, please visit SindayPod.com. This opening theme was created with the Splash app. It's time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mallon. You want to know how many topics we're covering on episode 189? Well, so many topics, I had to actually break out one of my legal pads and start jotting down everything I wanted to cover today. This is going to be a pretty large episode, but hey, that's okay. Thanks for listening again this week. Episode 189, like I mentioned, a lot to cover, especially high school football playoffs. We're getting very close to state title games. And in fact, next week will be the Division I state title game in football in Ohio. And then two weeks from now, we're talking about Division II through VII's state title games. And all these games will be at Fortress Obits in southeastern Columbus. If you don't know about the facility, it's where the Columbus Speedway used to be. And looks like a pretty nice field. Now, I know there's a lot of people that have complained about there's only one side for seating which I don't know if that's a thing Fortress Obits can fix and just bring in another set of bleachers on the other side of the uh, gridiron. But at the same time, it was probably a lot better to do it this way with social distancing being a thing. So that's more to talk about next week since that's the Division One state title game, like I mentioned. Speaking about moving all the state title games elsewhere, for volleyball, your state title games will be going to Vandalia Butler. For this season and maybe next season as well. But OHSAA has mentioned that maybe when things get normal and we're out of this coronavirus infested world, that the state title games for volleyball will be moving back to Wright State. I didn't realize that Wright State held the title games that long. It's been about 30 years since Wright State started hosting the volleyball state title games at the Nutter Center, which is Quite impressive, and it makes me proud as an alum to see state title games coming to Dayton slash Beaver Creek slash Fairborn. 
But there you go. Some changes there. And the soccer title games will be staying at Moffray Stadium. Now, I believe once the new crew stadiums open, they might look, by they, I mean OHSAA, they might look at the new crew stadium as a place. Maybe they'll keep it at Moffray because it's still going to be a, a soccer facility. It's going to be youth sports facility, rather. So they might keep it at Moffray. They might go to the Arena District in Columbus. I don't know. It'd be cool if they split some of those with Columbus and Cincinnati because, you know, the West End Stadium is going to be done next year, too. But that's another conversation for another day. We're here to talk a lot about local sports. And, oh, boy, do I have a lot of topics for you. We'll start off with some surprising news I found out yesterday. Mike Hartsock, you might know him as the longtime sports anchor for WHIO, the CBS affiliate in Dayton. He's been with the station for quite some time, and also a previous guest on this podcast. You can go back and listen to it, sindaypod.com. This is his last month with WHIO. He's retiring at the end of November. That's huge. He's one of the, you know, if Dayton had a Mount Rushmore for sports personalities on TV, radio, what have you, Hartsock is definitely on there. Definitely. Like I mentioned, he's been with CBS for quite some time. And I definitely enjoyed having him on the podcast and hearing his story. So, again, go back and listen to that episode. But after this one, you know. Or you can come back to this. You know, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm recording. So, yeah, that's big news. That's huge news. I mean, now who's going to replace Mike Hartsock at WHIO? I have no clue. I, I love that opportunity. But, you know, my luck with getting employment. <laughs> but... Congrats, Mike, on a very long career. In fact, Anthony Grant, the head coach of Dayton Flyers men's basketball and the uh, UD staff, gave him his own Dayton Flyers jersey with the number seven because, you know, it's Channel 7. And that was really cool to see, too. David Jablonski uh, filmed that on Twitter, so also a previous guest on this podcast as well. So definitely, that's huge news. So yeah, there's going to be large shoes to fill at HIO once Hartsock retires so it's going to be interesting to see how sports are carried on WHO TV. I mean, he'll get through the last touchdown sevens with uh, high school football playoffs. Because like I mentioned, two weeks, that's the last eight final games at Fortress Obits. But still, that's huge news. So I believe Jack Pohl is the longest tenured uh, sports director in town. He was He's been at WDTN Channel 2, the NBC affiliate. And for about two decades or so, the ABC affiliate in my childhood. He's been there since the mid-90s. Also, previous guest, go back and listen to that episode. Just go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. You can find your favorite platforms. Again, sindaypod.com. C-I-N-D-A-Y pod.com. So, Mike Hartsock's retiring. That'll move us to some sadder news. As longtime Middletown Journal sports editor Jerry Nardiello passed away at the age of 97. This has been, I think, earlier in the week, and that was shared by Hamilton Journal News. You know, Hamilton Journal News and the Middletown Journal, now part of the Dayton Daily News. Don't think that was the case when Jerry started. This article is available at journal-news.com, and it is written by Mick Rick McCrabbe, the face of the Middletown Journal Sports Department for more than six decades, has died. 
Jerry Nardiello, who worked as sports writer and sports editor at the Journal for 61 years, died Friday, last Friday, at hospice care of Butler and Warren counties at the age of 97. A World War II veteran who was born on Veterans Day, Nardiello was hired at the Journal August 10, 1947, and planned to get six months of experience, then find another job. What's funny is that six months turned into 61 years. That's how fast it happened, Nardiello once said. What he covered, he covered Cincinnati Reds, Cincinnati Bengals, Miami University football and basketball, and Middletown High School athletics, and also the school in Columbus. He regularly wrote his off-the-bench columns in the paper, also once the director of media relations at Lebanon Raceway. One of the comments on the Facebook post that I shared mentioned that Jerry was always on time on the deadlines and always very cordial when announcing the results at Lebanon Raceway, which I don't think is a thing anymore, but I still think it's up. You go by 48 in Lebanon, north end of town, you should be able to see the old uh, stands there. Nardiello and Jerry Lucas will be forever linked. You might know Jerry Lucas for his impressive career throughout Middletown College and the pros. And the first article that Nardiello wrote about Jerry Lucas was when he was in junior high in Middletown. He covered every high school game Lucas played, including the 76-game winning streak and back-to-back state champs. He's an icon in Middletown, Jerry Lucas said. I really enjoyed our relationship for decades. Now, Jerry Lucas has written a book, Midi Magic and My Magic, which should be available this year in 2020. And Nardiello is mentioned a lot throughout the book. So it's definitely one that I'm going to keep my eyes out and I like to buy it. Now, Jerry Lucas at 80 mentioned that he'll be remembered forever as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you can read the rest of the article, like I mentioned, journal-news.com and just see how much he meant to Middletown, Ohio, the Middletown Journal, and local sports. Like I mentioned, Middletown High and Cincinnati Reds Bengals and Miami U, just to mention a few. Personally, I didn't know him, and personally, I'm not familiar with his work because I'm not sure when the Middletown Journal you know, went away. But at the same time, you know, that's greatness right there. In a time where, you know, journalism has seen so many changes and, you know, paper journalism is, you can still say it's struggling, but remember, you know, your local journalists make the news happen or bring you news rather. You know, it's, it, you can't ignore the fact that, you know, 61 years of you know, same job, great work. I mean, just, that's huge. Now, one thing I'd like to bring up in the bottom of the article, Middletown's already named something after uh, Nardiello. The scorer's table at Wade E. Miller Gym, you know, that beautiful facility that also holds a basketball tournament in the winter. The scorer's table is named after Jerry Nardiello, where he spent many of his Friday nights in the old Wade E. Miller Gym, which, that that's awesome. This has been eight years ago, but at the same time, you know, that just shows you how much Middletown loves Jerry Nardiello and how much Jerry meant to the community. There's also a couple of pictures on there as well. And that's pretty cool to see. It's just neat to see how much sports, journalism, broadcasting, everything has changed. It's just neat to see the archives of everything. 
So definitely a big loss for the Butler County area. And rest in peace to a local journalism legend, Jerry Nardiello. And now let's talk about something a little bit more uplifting. Taylor High School, that's in Cincinnati. It's part of the Three Rivers School District in southwestern Ohio. You know, right by the river off US 50. And they're part of the Cincinnati Hills League, along with Wyoming Cowboys, still in the football playoffs. Spoilers, we'll talk about that later. So Taylor High School has approved girls wrestling to be a sport, an official sport for the Yellow Jackets. And that's huge. I've mentioned many times on this podcast that I think girls wrestling should be a statewide sport. And in fact, there's a lot of states that carry the sport now. You know, that's it's great to see. It's great to see that wrestling is including, you know, not only the male uh, gender, but the female gender as well. I mean, it's huge. I, I like to see all schools carry girls wrestling. I mean, it outside the uniforms, it's not really going to cost you, you know, renting fees because you already have the gym, you already have the mats, you know. Right now, with girls wrestling, it's a little bit tougher to find opponents just because, you know, not every school carries the sport. But at the same time, it's positive to see that it's growing, you know? And Taylor High School is the latest school to add girls wrestling. Uh, locally, I know Miami East has it. Olentangy Orange in Columbus. I know there's more schools, but at the same time, it's great to see. And hopefully, it's officially recognized by the OHSAA sooner than later. So congrats to Taylor for adding a sport. That's always great to see. And girls wrestling will be at Taylor High School, home of the Yellow Jackets. And now back to the negative side of things. Hopefully this is not a trend in this episode, but ice hockey, which this is not the negative part, ice hockey is starting this weekend. That's right. Preseason for two weekends, and then we're in the regular season, the week before Thanksgiving. It really snuck up on me, and I was questioning if we would have ice hockey this year. But lo and behold, yes. Now, of course, it'll be a little bit different because, oh, you know, COVID and social distancing and most ice hockey rinks in Dayton and Cincinnati, they don't seat a lot. So social distancing is going to be quite tough. Now, of course, Heritage Bank Center, it shouldn't be much of a problem just because of the fact Oh, yeah. How how many seats can that venue fill? A lot more. Whereas, you know, Kettering, South Metro, Sports Plus, Northland, they don't have the luxury of having that many seats. In fact, yeah, it's uh, that's going to be tough. And I'm, I'm pretty interested to see how that turns out this year. Now, there's going to be one team in Southwest Ohio that's not participating in this upcoming 2020-21 season, and that's the Centerville Elks. Posted late Wednesday night by the Facebook page and then Twitter the next day from the Centerville Elks varsity hockey team. That uh, due to COVID and a lack of skaters, the Elks will be sitting this season off. Of course, that breaks my heart because I've been the voice of Centerville hockey for the past four seasons. I was looking for forward to season five. But, you know, these things happen. And I know that's not an easy decision to make because you want to see, you know, you don't want to see any team sit out. But shorts of players and COVID-19, that's a pretty bad mix and it's a pretty bad mix to come off from. So 
hopefully the Elks will be back for 2021-22 next season. But this season, it's going to be an off year for the Elks. And, and that's a shame, too, because you know Tim Evans is coming back from retirement with Centerville. He's probably the winningest coach for Elks hockey. You know, he's been there from 88 till about 2004, and he has a span where the Elks made, what was it, two straight Final Fours and five straight Elite Eights in state playoff runs. So definitely had a great Elks hockey program. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do in his second tenure with Centerville. But, you know, this year is going to be tough. Last year there was a lot of seniors, and, you know, I was questioning who would step in as goalie or who's coming in to be the goalie. And I found out from a credible source that, yeah, Centerville did have a goalie, and she's pretty awesome. But at the same time, if you still have a shortage of players and what if the injury bug decides to bite, you know, it's hockey. It's a very physical game. It's, it's, it's a shame. I feel bad for the coaches, the fans, and the kids. But at the same time, you know, it's... It, no, it's not an easy decision to make. I don't know if I could make that, but... So definitely hoping to see the Elks back next season. But never fear, there is a little bit of uh, positivity to talk about. Now in the Southwest Ohio High School Hockey League, that will drop the total amount of teams down to six, which, yes, that does even things up. But at the same time, you know, more teams, the better. And now this league is looking at six teams. Who are those six teams? Well, you got the Troy Trojans holding Hobart Arena home, and there is news about the Trojans. More on that later. You also have the Alter Knights and the Beaver Creek Beavers calling Kettering Rec home. You got the Elder Panthers calling Northland home in Cincinnati. You got the Sycamore Aves calling Sports Plus home. And now you have the Mason Comets, who they're not new to the uh, Swashel, but they will be calling South Metro Sports home for this season. And that makes me excited. I mean, if you didn't tell me that, you know, this it's the same distance from Mason Sports Plus and South Metro Sports, I, I was like, wow, that's that's a hike. But at the same time, think about it. I mean, if you go on 741 from Mason, that's a straight shot to South Metro. Pretty much you're going through Springboro, and that's kind of it. So, I mean, hey. Uh, I think more... I always thought that Sports Plus was closer to Mason just because, you know. But I, I don't know. I mean, someone told me it's the same amount of time to get, you know, from each rink. So, I mean, that makes me happy. I'll still have two teams to cover at South Metro Sports. The other one will be the Springboro Panthers, which scheduled a game today, but that got called off because that was against Centerville. But they'll be back in action well, actually, the pack in action for the first time this year, tomorrow against Gehanna Lincoln for a scrimmage. And I'm very excited to call that game just because, hey, we got hockey again. So I'm pretty pumped. And looking what Springboro has, they'll be led by first-year head coach, and he's been an assistant coach for a while, uh, Tony DeRosa. This will be his first year leading the charge for Springboro. So definitely, I think Springboro's got a pretty good blueprint. I mean, goalie... The goalie situation is strong. Max Hubble will return for his third year of action, and he's backed up by second-year Panther and Braden Hauser. I mean, Springboro did lose a lot last year. I mean, I mentioned that during the broadcast, but at the same time, at least they're bringing a couple of new faces. So what, something that's always 
that I've admired about Springboro is, you know, they they reload. It's nice to see. And hopefully Centerville gets a piece of that action for next year, but we'll wait and see. So I mentioned Mason will be calling South Metro Sports home for this season. Not sure about the future, but hey, it's nice to have the Comets at South Metro, and it's nice to have a second hockey team again. I was hoping to be Mason being the third team. There was a time where South Metro had three teams, Centerville, Springboro, and Alter, and the first year that we did high school hockey, yeah, that was really cool. But, hey, we still got two. Something else I want to talk about uh, for ice hockey season, uh, Frozen Creek, which is the longtime uh, tournament ran by the Beaver Creek Beavers. Uh, How long? Uh, 1997. It's one of the oldest ones in the state, I believe. That's being moved to the NTPRT Chiller in Springfield. Now, I love that rink. It's a single sheet of ice in Springfield. But I I, uh, I, I question the move. I, I mean, because Beaver Creek's always called Kettering Rec Home. Well, since uh, I've followed hockey, I should say. I, I question it. Maybe Kettering has something you know already booked and Beaver Creek had to move. I mean, this year was going to be weird anyway. Not because of COVID, but... Miami Valley Freeze Tournament will have to be played first first uh, weekend of 2021 because, you know, Christmas is on a Friday. And, you know, you could play that Saturday, Sunday, but, you know, spend it with your family. So I get that. So that's a little bit weird. Something else that I thought about, too, is the fact that the Mayor's Cup and the MLK Tournament, hosted by the Centerville Oaks, now who's going to be the fourth team in the Mayor's Cup? Is that still going to be a thing? Will Alter Beaver Creek and... Uh, all, uh, Troy, <laughs> I don't know why I blanked on that third team. I apologize for that. But is someone going to be taking over that spot? I look at the dates, and Mason has a game at Gehanna-Lincoln that Saturday the 19th, and also a game that Sunday at Hobart Arena. Of course, uh, Mayor's Cup is Friday the 18th, Saturday the 19th, and the 20th, that Sunday of December. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe Springboro slides in that spot. I don't know. Maybe they just play with three teams. I I don't know how that's going to work. It's going to be, hey, once I find out, we'll talk about it. But yeah, it's still still hitting me pretty hard that there's not going to be Centerville Elks hockey this year. That's supposed to be my fifth year with the Elks. Granted, this will be my fifth year with the Springboro Panthers, but I didn't cover Springboro until about January, my first year covering Centerville. So it's, I mean, yeah, it'll still be my fifth year covering Springboro. And yes, that should mean I have all the home games for the Panthers this year, because if Springboro had a home game and Centerville was away, I'm with Centerville. So there you go. A little bit of ice hockey news. Very exciting to see. Now the 16s battling the Southwest Ohio High School Hockey League. Who's going to win? I I, I I, like the depth that Alter brings. I mean, I know they lost a couple of key pieces, but something that Coach Barry's done quite well is the fact that Alter reloads quite nicely, too. Beaver Creek, no slouch in that department either, but you lost your captain, who was your leadoff center. Uh, leadoff center. We'll talk a little bit about baseball later, but you're... Uh, Top center, I should say. So that, that's going to be tough to bring up, but I think Beaver Creek will do fine. Elder, the youth movement is coming in. I'm excited to see what the Panthers do there. Sycamore, I've heard that 
they might have a lot of bodies, but again, this is before COVID, so who who knows? So I'm excited to see what the Aves bring to the table. Troy should be bringing a lot more youth, and this is the second year of uh, Rick Sabo's tenure, his second tenure with uh, THS. I'm excited to see them, and we'll talk about the news about Troy in just a moment. And Mason, I mean, they're building a great foundation. I can't wait to see what the Comets bring to the table as well. So should be very exciting. My, <laughs> my preseason guess, you know what? I'll say Alter. I'll say Alter. I mean, they they did lose a few pieces. I mean, everyone does. That's the beauty of high school sports. Once you're a senior, you graduate. Where, you know, I, I think Alter's depth is just going to be really hard to handle. I think, I, I mean, I think it's on the table for all six teams, but I'll, I'll pick Alter. So we'll see how that goes. And, you know, hopefully I don't get the uh, urinating tree curse of uh, saying that this team's going to win the championship and they don't even make it there. So, <sighs> hockey season starts tonight. Woo! And it starts for me tomorrow. Woo! Springboro, Gahanna, Lincoln tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I want to tell you it's YouTube.com slash South Metro Sports, but I've also heard that uh, this uh, sports broadcasting platform, T. DKS Sports. I always get the uh, letters mixed up there, but uh, I've heard that they might be bringing high school hockey at South Metro, but who's to say? So let's talk about that Troy Trojans news. Now, Troy will have a team, which, uh, you know, if they weren't, we'd talk about at the same time with Centerville. But for the first time in about a decade, the Trojans are going to be rocking some new gear, some new sweaters for the Troy Trojans of Miami County. And these jerseys look pretty cool. Now, I just want to start this statement off by saying I really think that Troy's look was classic. And I, I liked it. It was easy to read. Even the uh, gray jerseys with white numbers, that was pretty easy to read because it, it was contradicting enough where not contradicting it was a better contrast there we go but you you can see it and there's red trim on it too so you know that wasn't bad troy didn't really wear those a lot this like once in a you know full moon type of thing which you know that's that's not a lot considering it was an alternate jersey but i really like the red jerseys white jersey pretty cool too so what's this new look look like for the Troy Trojans? Well, you can find it out at TrojanHockey.com, and it's one of the first new updates. Uh, the assistant coach and previous guest on this podcast, it's funny how we're doing this uh, this week, uh, J.D. Zabo uh, helped spearhead this uh, redesign with rival Stephen Kleiner, who helped focus the design on integration with the rest of the Troy Trojans athletic department and ushering in the return of the classic star logo, for the first time since 2010. Yeah, the hockey jerseys really didn't have the star logo. And that's, you know, you you think with a team called the Trojans, you have a Trojan head as the logo. Not Troy. They have the star and Trojans and uh, a type of cursive in there. Which I, I've always I've always been interested in that logo and always wanted to hear the story of why it was a star. But that's going to be the new look. This is going to be the 24th year of varsity hockey at Troy High School. And they're going to have the most durable, breathable, and high-tech uniform system in the school's history. And in fact, if you read in the article, it's the it's about the same material worn in the National Hockey League. And you know you got to have the best material up there because, you know, it's the NHL. It's the top level in North America. 
It's featuring premium fabric comparable to material worn in the NHL, fully cut and sewn striping and logos, and sporting many of the elite trimmings associated with uniforms found the highest levels of the game. That's pretty cool. I mean, hey, you get stitched. Now, you know, most jerseys, you know, they should be stitched, but there's also the press, you know, you press it on with high heat and it sticks. And most presses are good. I mean, if you if you get it like super super cheap, then it peels off, you know. But not not. I I I, I remember a little bit story about you know pressing on jerseys. I remember when the Beaver Creek Mire sold Wright State football jerseys, and this is before the football team was a thing at Wright State. And uh, <laughs> it didn't last long before the numbers started to peel off. I think I still have it somewhere. I might have thrown it out by now. But, uh, yeah, uh, it kind of, the uh, numbers kind of washed away. So I still love that thing. And I wish they'd sell something like that again. But, hey, there you go. I don't know if they could just because Wright State does have a club football team. I mean, they wouldn't have to go through the athletic department because, again, club football, Wright State's not an official varsity sport, but I'd still like that. So that's kind of the difference. With stitching, you really have to pick at it, pick at it, pick at it to get it off. Because stitching, you know, you stitch it into the fabric and it stays. So there you go. And it lasts longer too. So what's neat about these jerseys is not only is the Trojan Star coming front and center on these new jerseys, but there's a new helmet logo, which, you know, I don't really think Troy had until this season. It's going to be on the shoulders, and it looks really cool. It kind of looks like, if you know your local high school logos, by local I mean Indiana, uh, Newcastle, they're the Trojans. They have like a very unique logo, logo as well. It's not like the classic head, you know, the Spartan head or the Trojan head, you know, like USC, something like that. It's pretty neat. So uh, you can look at the pictures yourself. I uh, I mean, I, I, it's clean. It's a clean look. And at the uh, at the the necklace collar, I don't know exactly what to call it. The uh, at the bottom of the neck, uh, where the uh, you know the hole where you put your head through, it's got the OHSAA logo on it, which I think is a really really nice touch. The white jerseys are going to have red numbers and gray trim and two red stripings towards the hands and one silver striping in the middle and on the bottom as well. I mean, these are very clean jerseys. They are quite nice. And the Trojans taking the pictures are Kellen Glover on the white jersey and Mike McGuark in the red jersey. Red jersey is going to be, you know, flipped. Uh, silver numbers, white trim, and two silver stripes, one white stripe in the middle. I mean, these look nice. You can kind of see at the shoulder... The Trojan logo, like I mentioned, it does look a little bit like the Newcastle, Indiana logo, but eh, not quite. It, it's a really nice logo, and I, I really like that Troy went this way. You can see it better in the uh, the art sketch of it, and that's a really cool jersey. So definitely a lot of fun. The number font, it's not block anymore. It's, you know, as a logo... And font nerd, I should know this, but I don't. It's got little tiny uh, uh, ticks at the bottom of the numbers. It's really nice. So, apparently you can order this at BeTheRival.com. Again, look at the jerseys yourself. It's also on the Troy Trojans hockey uh, Facebook and Instagram accounts. 
yeah, these are great jerseys. So definitely, definitely looking forward to seeing the Trojans and their new look. And now I'm already tired of the cold weather, so let's talk a little bit about baseball. And this is from previous guest Doug Gray. You might know I'm running the Reds Minor League website. Does a great job. RedsMinorLeagues.com. And there's new details emerging what minor league baseball might look like for 2021. How's that going to affect Cincinnati? Well, maybe an affiliate swap. That's it for right now. We'll start off with the team that was looking to be cut, the Daytona Tortugas in Florida. They were on the axe of 40-some teams to go away. Apparently, that's no longer the case, but... Who's to say? The list isn't uh, public right now. But might be a switch of Daytona to Dayton. Whereas Daytona would drop down to single A slash low A. And Dayton would be going to advanced A. So the article, again written by Doug Gray. And this is written yesterday. And I shared it on my uh, Twitter account, the Lee W. Mallon. Go give us a follow if you like. Mentioning that... Dayton Dragons going to advance day is quite possible. So the paragraph I'm going to read here. While teams in Major League Baseball may have a good idea who their affiliates are in 2021, we don't. Unless rules are changed, which will work against team owners in the MLB, we do know a team like the Dayton Dragons will remain affiliated with the Cincinnati Reds due to their proximity to the city of Cincinnati. I mean, it's about an hour if you drive slow on 75, so... It'd be silly to let Dayton go to another market because then you can grow a fan base there and then you'd have less Reds fans about an hour away. Uh, who, who could be bothered with that? Who wants that? Answer, you shouldn't. So going back to this, Dayton is technically in the Cincinnati quote-unquote market, quote-unquote tractor beam, and thus the Reds have the rights to allow them to have a team and it'd be a terrible business move to allow another Major League team to have an affiliate there and build a fan base there. Like I mentioned, yeah, you're pretty much shooting yourself in the foot if Dayton ever became affiliated with another team. Will that happen? I doubt it, but hey, stranger things have happened in sports. What that means is the Cincinnati Reds are seemingly going to have a new affiliate, a new advanced A affiliate even, but it's not going to be a new team either. It's certainly possible that they could have a new low-A affiliate. That's an old friend, too. With the Florida State League moving to low-A, there's a chance that Daytona could be that team. So, yeah, Daytona and Dayton swapping. Which I always laughed at the fact, once Daytona became part of the Reds' farm system, you have Dayton in single-A, and you got Daytona in advanced-A. That second-A is advanced. Now, that joke doesn't make any sense. I don't think it made any sense to begin with. But... Dayton could be the home of Advanced Day. So I want to read that part where it mentioned where the midwife... Oh, it's the top paragraph, because of course. The report by Kevin Reichert of Ballpark Test is reporting some new information what's happening behind the scenes with the restructuring of minor league baseball for the upcoming season. His reporting notes that the California and Florida State Leagues are both moving down to single A, something that's been rumored as being on the table in the past, as well as Advanced A getting the Midwest League, the Northwest League, the Carolina League, which is, I thought it was double A for a time, so maybe they're dropping down, and the new Mid-Atlantic League. So yeah, Dayton and Advanced A. What does that mean? Well... I, I, 
I want to tell you that Advanced A is slightly better than Single A. I mean, it's advanced. How could it not be? I'd like to tell you that, you know, when you go see Advanced A ball, more of those players will be making the majors. I probably would be lying to you on that because of the fact that it's not quite true. I just think that <clears throat> in Daytona, you know, you're in Florida and the air's, you know, don't want to say murkier, but it's, uh, you know, more humid down there. The ball flies a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, you know, a, a notch up in terms of quality, but not so much a notch that you're talking double A. It was rumored that Dayton will be going to Triple uh, A. Ah, I mean they they have a nice stadium for it. They don't really have to do much to it, but I don't know. So yeah, Dayton might be advanced A, which in terms of you know you you would get players from Daytona, and I don't know how that trip would work. You're on the beach in Daytona, Florida, and you're coming up Dayton, Ohio. Uh, it's like hmm. So I I don't know. But, like I mentioned, Daytona was previously on the list of teams to be cut. And it looks like they're on the outside looking at that list, meaning that the Torga, Tortugas would be safe. There's no update on what the future holds for Daytona, but, uh, I mean, this is all something that I'm, I want more information on. Don't expect the Dayton Dragons to go away. In fact, they'll be back for 2021 if we have minor league baseball. You know, fingers crossed. But at the same time, I'm still wondering how MILB and MLBs really looking to reshape everything. Now, the Pioneer League, which is the rookie level, home of the Billings Mustangs, which has been with the Reds for quite some time, it wouldn't be an official affiliate anymore. They're looking to make sort of this like dream league where you're kind of you're kind of not drafted, but you're, you, you know, you, you would be fine in, you know, the farm system. Now, the biggest news, perhaps, is despite all the promises that MLB was going to help teams who didn't get to keep their affiliation out in a way that would help keep baseball in their towns, at least according to Rikers reporting at Ballpark Digest, they aren't extending any help to the teams that made up the Pioneer League. So, you know, kind of on your own type of thing so uh, let me tell you about rookie ball i mean it's it's it starts well later in i mean the closest rookie affiliation be what would that be new york Penn league but cincinnati's in it not in it they're in the pioneer league i mean you're not going to see rookies call up to the majors unless they're really really good i mean heck the last time cincinnati did that uh mike leak who is no longer in the organization. I think he got his uh, option declined by Arizona, I think. I, I don't know where he went. But you get what I'm saying. If you're a rookie, you play a little rookie ball. If you're really good in the rookie league, you can possibly go up to low A. Now, with this, it looks like if you're drafted, you'll go to single A. And, you know, if you're not, you can play in the Dream League for a chance to get into a farm system. That's what I'm guessing, but I don't know. I mean, the long travel certainly doesn't help, but again, it's not like, you know, rookie players are moved up that constantly. It's not like, you know, an everyday thing. So, uh, 
So apparently, uh, further on this article, the New York Penn League was being offered up as a wood bat collegiate summer league. So a uh, competition to the Prospect League, the Cape Cod League, uh, Cape Cod being one of the best ones around in the States. And not quite close enough, but it still threatens the Great Lakes. So uh, I don't know. Maybe the Pioneer League, I mean, they don't have a lot of options. Maybe become independent ball. Who knows? Uh, how would that affect the dynamic? Well, I always thought independent ball, your players are a little bit older, and they're trying to get into the big show or into the farm system for a shot. So, so apparently in a few weeks, we might find out the new format and teams, according to the article. And minor league baseball is not going to look the same from 2019, which come to expect. I was expecting 2020. We have one last look of what the Midwest League looks like now, but COVID. So Dayton Dragons to advance day in 2021. It might happen. Will we have a season 2021? God, I hope so. You know how bad it was missing baseball this year? Just, you know, being able to open up the scoreboard window and just... Smell that fresh air, you know, with a grill, grilling the hot dogs, the brats, and just smelling that great food. Sometimes you can smell like <laughs> dragons once sold this big turkey leg at the uh, barbecue end of the uh, north end of the stadium. You can smell the kettle corn. Just, you know what I'm saying? There's nothing like a day at the ballpark. And, you know, missing that in 2020. I mean, that was supposed to be the first year I was broadcasting for the Champion City Kings in Springfield. I mean, we're the situation at Carlton Davidson Stadium is the concession stand is right underneath where we broadcast from. So, yeah, uh, if I don't smell food, then I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see. I, I'm going to be sad and excited to see the changes. I mean, like I mentioned, if Dayton were to go to double A or advance or there's not advanced double A. I'm sorry. Triple A. I mean, that's something pretty unique because Dayton is right there. I mean, Louisville's not too far from Cincinnati either. But at the same time, you know, triple A, you can see players that are major league ready or not quite just waiting for the call, waiting for an injury to get their shot. You know, but with this A to advanced A move, I mean, it, it might be about the same level of talent, maybe slightly higher, because, you know, it's advanced. But it'll be interesting to see. And like I mentioned, it's definitely something I'm keeping my eye on for 2021. So now we move on from talking about Dayton Dragons and minor league baseball back down to the collegiate levels. Now, there's been a university, even during this COVID season where, you know, fall sports were canceled, there's been one university that has been on a hiring spree, and that would be the Central State University Marauders. Now, if you remember quite some time ago that the Marauders let go of, what was it, four head coaches, and they have hired a lot recently. Central State has made a couple big splashes. We'll start off with men's basketball. Antonio O. Davis, he's going to be your head coach for men's basketball. Women's basketball is going to be Kathy Parson, and she holds the distinction of being the all-time leading scorer at West Virginia University. So she's got experience. So that's two big hires right off the bat. 
And volleyball will be serviced by one head coach, because remember, Central State this year was supposed to have men's volleyball, but, you know, I'll say it once, I'll say it again, COVID. So the volleyball coach is Ray Davis. Now, if you follow non-Division I sports, uh, Bellarmine to be precise, Ray Davis was leading the charge for volleyball there. And in fact, Coach Lewis has won a couple championships down there in Louisville, Kentucky. What makes this interesting is, because men's volleyball doesn't play in the fall like women's volleyball does, he's leading two teams. So, you know, that's double the recruitment and, you know, a very busy gentleman, I will say. So, definitely a new era for Central State uh, athletics. And, you know, volleyball is a great sport. I mean, you got lots of talent. It's just in Southwest Ohio alone. I mean, and Northern Kentucky as well. I mean, look at Wright State. Look what Allie Matters has done. Getting Northern Kentucky kids and Cincinnati kids to come up to Wright State. And look at that program now. They won the first regular season title in, I think, school history. So, yeah, that tells you that, you know, there's talent here. There's a lot of resources I think if Ray Lewis can tap into that, he can have himself not one, but two great Marauder programs. What's neat about men's volleyball is not a lot of schools have it. I think Ohio State would be the closest school, maybe even Purdue Fort Wayne. That would be your two closest schools for men's volleyball. Because I know Wright State doesn't, Dayton doesn't, uh, Xavier, Cincinnati, Miami, and Northern Kentucky don't. Which, that, that's another sport. Can you see... Uh, colleges add volleyball, men's volleyball to the mix. I mean, that'd be pretty cool. I don't think that most colleges will go the route that Central State is, hiring one coach to lead all, because I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a thing. But, hey. So, the director of athletics, Tara A. Owens of Central State, emphasized the importance of student-athlete experience as far as the selection process. So, that definitely went into all the... Uh, the picks as well. Uh, you're also forgetting the fact that Central State hired a new football coach, but unfortunately, he didn't have his first season this year. You guessed it, that darn virus. So, Coach Lewis has demonstrated his abilities to develop and lead programs to success on and off the court. That's going to be a big smash in Wilberforce. And that's Wilberforce, the village, not Wilberforce, you. Just so anyone doesn't. You know, question. We believe Coach Lewis will take our women's volleyball program to new heights while bidding our men's program into a perennial contender. Under his guidance, our student-athletes will flourish on the court and in the classroom. I mean, like I mentioned, Lewis, a national championship pedigree. His second season as head coach at uh, Benedictine University, so I was wrong on that. I apologize. In Mesa, Arizona, he guided those Red Hawks to the 2019 MAIA Men's Volleyball National Championship, where that team finished 26-4 and in the season and featured four NAIA All-Americans and the NAIA Tournament MVP. Also went a perfect 10-0 in the Golden State Athletic Conference and was named the GSAC and NAIA Coach of the Year. So, yeah. Definitely a lot of great experience. Not sure what I thought about uh, uh, Bellarmine and Louisville. It might be the fact that, oh, by the way, Bellarmine's basketball is going to play at Freedom Hall. You might know Freedom Hall as the former home of the Louisville Cardinals and also the uh, extreme indoor football team, which we're supposed to play this year. But 
Actually, they got kicked out of the league, so I can't even use the COVID excuse that time. Lewis had a successful stint in his home state, Nevada, at the high school level, serving as head coach for both boys and girls volleyball teams at Legacy High School for four seasons. His boys program won a state title in 2014 and finished runners-up the following year. Named the SNVCA State Coach of the Year in 2014 for his state title winning team, also led the girls program three straight playoff appearances for the first time in Legacy High School history. So, again, you hear that pedigree, you hear championships, I think Central State has got a quality, quality coach to lead both programs to the top. Currently, Coach Lewis is a Level 2 certified coach by the USA Volleyball Coaches Accreditation Program, which it's similar to what, you know, soccer has except, you know, volleyball. But at the same time, hey, he's got the credentials. I think he's ready to go for Central State. So, I, I'm I'm really excited. I really hope that there are spring sports at Central State this year just to see what volleyball can bring. Curious enough, if you go to MarauderSports.com, the schedule tab tells you that you went to the wrong place. Okay, that's not that's not very nice. There's more sports listed on that compared to what it is now. Currently there's nine sports listed. At Central State, for women, it's basketball, cross-country, track and field, and volleyball. For men, it's football, basketball, cross-country, track and field, and volleyball. Football being the difference maker of the two. And now moving on to this Dayton Daily News article about the new coach with an old connection at Central State. And we're talking about the men's basketball head coach now for CSU, Antonio O. Davis. Named the men's basketball coach at Central State, October 31st, 2020. And Beacon Lewis Jim is his new home court, a place he knows well. This is written by Tom Archdeacon of DDM. Now, Coach Davis coached the Kentucky State women's team in the 90s, and Central State was the big rival. In fact, that's still a rivalry that holds near and true to CSU and KSU as well, because, you know, the Salvern... Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, home of the Marauders and Thoroughbreds, Thoroughbreds. Coach Davis had top 20 teams, a team that won the SIAC, teams that won multiple division championships, went to the NCAA tournament, and a 26-game winning season. But so was Central State. Coach uh, Teresa Check had a heavyweight program. We really go at it with them, but couldn't beat them. Beacon Lewis was a tough place to play. Still is. If you've never seen a Marauder basketball game, go. Especially when the marching Marauders are up on the top level of Beacon Lewis. That is a great environment. And I know there might be some saying, well, it's not Division One. Who cares? They're still athletes. They're still playing sports. Nothing changes there. It's just less scholarship money. And, you know, there's less teams around the area to talk about especially with Urbana closing up shop earlier this year. So definitely, Coach Antonio O. Davis, he gets the chance to run the Marauders men's basketball program. And it's pretty funny, just with the rivalry he had with Kentucky State and Central State, just not being able to win at Beacon Lewis with the thoroughbreds because, oh yeah, Coach Check had a, a great women's basketball program at CSU. In the late 80s, he guided a last-place team in Morrison College who no longer exists. It was a small 
historical black college and university in eastern Tennessee to a second-place finish in the Eastern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, the AIAC. Again, Morristown College is no longer with us. They're defunct. Livingstone College, his alma mater, where as a player he led the nation with a 35 points per game scoring average, turned a one-win team into a 15-winner team. And in St. Augustine University, North Carolina, he took a perennial loser and turned it into a top 20 program, while the team's GPA also led the conference for four straight years. Again, like we're talking about, you know, the new volleyball coach at Central State, Coach Davis, the pedigree's there, and I think he'll do great things for the Marauders. Also, the women's basketball coach is mentioned in the same article, too. Kathy Parson, like I mentioned, great pedigree for her as well. Scored a school record 2,113 career points in the Mountaineers Athletic Hall of Fame. Parson has led programs at Howard University, Frostburg State U, Stratford U, and Christopher Newport University. Also, the interim head coach in the WNBA back in 1998 with the Mystics of Washington. So again, pedigree there. These coaches that Central State have hired, I think they have the opportunity to bring Central State to a new tier in the SIAC, and I think that everyone down south should take the Marauders more seriously. So definitely looking forward to seeing what Central State can do. As far as I know, I think Central State will have a basketball season this year. There's a lot of questions right now. It's like, you know, basketball-wise. There is one Division I team that decided no season at all. That would be uh, Bethune-Cookman. And that's about all I really saw. Now, of course, there's been a lot of uh, tournament bouncing out. I think Did Dayton bounce out of a tournament, or was that right state? I think no, I I don't know. I mean, there's we could talk a little bit about this more because I still got football to go, and we're heading towards the hour mark of this episode. <clears throat> Sorry, but I did warn you this is going to be a long episode. So hopefully, you got a long, long trip or long time to listen. Can I just mention that I retweeted this yesterday? Uh, Princeton Vikings taking on Lakota West in the game of chess. That's <laughs> That's awesome. I chess is such uh, such a smart game, and it's a game that I completely suck at. Not gonna lie there, but I've seen a lot more of Cincinnati schools playing chess with each other, and that's that's cool. Is it something I could broadcast? Uh, probably. Yeah, you know what? Maybe I, I played enough Chess Master Three Thousand in my childhood that I could probably sound like I know what I'm talking about. But there you go. I would like to talk to you about. Wright State Basketball. Guess guess what's out for Wright State and the Horizon League? Schedules. And guess what's changed? Schedules. Thanks, COVID. So what the Horizon League has done is the fact that instead of your home-and-homes where one weekend you'll host, uh, we'll take the Wisconsin schools, for example, one weekend you'll host Milwaukee and Green Bay, and then in a weekend future down the road, you'll go to Wisconsin at Green Bay and Milwaukee. You get how that works. Home and home, basically. And, you know, with the additions of Robert Morris and Indiana, uh, excuse me, Purdue, Fort Wayne, a few years ago I would have been right saying Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne, but it's no longer the case. So, 
yeah, I mean, that was going to be pretty interesting to see how the Horizon League done. And there was a lot of calls on the Wright State board saying split divisions, West versus East. I mean, uh, I, I like that. I mean, you could have where you have home and homes with the East Division schools, and then you have a trip there, or they come there to your place uh, once. Uh, will that work when everything gets back to normal? I don't know. What is happening this year, though, in the Horizon League schedule for Wright State and Northern Kentucky, is the fact that you will go to a place and play two games there back-to-back days. So, for the Women's Basketball Raiders, December 12th and the 13th, Wright State will be at Detroit Mercy. You will not see the Titans at the Nutter Center for Women's Basketball. December 19th through the 20th, Wright State will host Oakland for two. January 1st and 2nd, Wright State's women will go to Youngstown State. January 8th through 9th, Wright State goes to Cleveland State. January 15th, 16th, IUPUI comes to the Nutter Center. January 22nd, 23rd, women go to Robert Morris. January 29th, 30th, Wright State will host UIC. February 5th and 6th, Milwaukee's in town. February 12th and 13th, the women go to Northern Kentucky. And February 19th and 20th, Wright State host. This is the big one, Green Bay. That means that Wright State and uh, PFW will not play. And that's also the same for men's basketball. There's a lot of people asking about that too. And I, you know, I would have thought that's not the series that's going to be dropped because of the fact, you know, Fort Wayne and Dayton, they're not too far apart. I mean, not as close as Dayton-Cincinnati, but it's not as far as Dayton-Milwaukee, Dayton-Green Bay, Dayton-Chicago, for that matter. Not even Dayton-Indianapolis, for that. Well, maybe on that. I don't know. But that's the women's look. Dates and times are subject to change. You know, COVID, winter, and if the Farmer's Almanac is correct, we're in for a snowy winter. I am not ready for that, but... Let's jump to the men's basketball side for Wright State. And it looks to be about the same format. That was very nice of the computer to do that for me. But December 19th, 20th, Wright State's men go to Detroit Mercy for two. December 26th, 27th, Green Bay's in town for two. January 1st and 2nd, Wright State's at Oakland. January 8th and 9th, Youngstown State's in town. January 15, 16, Cleveland State's in town. January 22nd, 23rd, Wright State goes to IUPUI. January 29th and 30th, newcomer Robert Morris at the Nutter Center. February 5th and 6th, UIC Wagman's in the Raiders. February 12th and 13th, Milwaukee's at the Nutter Center. And February 19th, 20th, Wright State is at Northern Kentucky for two. Which, yeah, I, like I mentioned, Wright State or Northern Kentucky, to me, hands down, best rivalry. Sorry, Wisconsin. Sorry, Michigan schools and Horizon League. Sorry, Youngstown State, Cleveland State, Wright State, Northern Kentucky is where it's at for me. Now, I mean, past few years, Wright State's been able to win at BB&T. Is this still called BB&T? I thought they changed their name again. Or is that Heritage Bank Center that I'm thinking of? I don't know. But still, at least there's basketball on the table. Will this hold with COVID? I can't tell you. If I could, wouldn't I tell you the lottery numbers? No, I wouldn't. I keep those for myself, and then I win the lottery, build myself an o- build myself a sports radio station, and I talk about local sports on the radio station. How about that? But no, um, I mean I can't tell you. I can't tell you if that's going to happen or not. But if everything goes according to plan, that's me knocking on wood. 
we should be in for a pretty exciting Horizon League slate. Yes, it's going to be weird that, you know, you got two games at one place at the same time, but that's more to kind of slow down the spread of coronavirus. I mean, you're in town for two days, then you go back home. That's kind of it. So, whereas the normal schedule, you go to a place, play there, maybe spend the night there or head straight there. I don't know what the travel arrangements look like, but that's what it looks like. So, let's look what Northern Kentucky brings to the table because, you know, they're also in the Horizon League. And we'll also talk about the preseason poll that's come out for the Horizon League as well. So Norfolk, Kentucky, the social media account is NKU Norse MBB. They have it where the home graphic is shown and then they have an away graphic for it. Whereas Wright States was home and away, one clean slate, which isn't a big deal. So Norfolk, Kentucky at home, they'll get Youngstown State December 19th and 20th, Purdue Fort Wayne New Year's Day in the 2nd. IUPUI, January 15th, 16th, UIC, January 29th, 30th, Wright State, February 19th and 20th. This is the men's side, by the way. And away for the Norse, NKU would beat Oakland, December 26th, 27th, Cleveland State, January 8th, January 9th, Robert Morris, January 22nd, 23rd, Milwaukee, February 5th, 6th, Green Bay, February 12th, 13th. So, definitely, it's going to be a fun season for you know, Horizon League hoops. And I'm only doing Horizon League schedules because that's what's out. Can't really talk about anything that's not, uh, you know, out, can I? For the women's side of NKU, at home will be Youngstown State, December 12th, 13th, Cleveland State, January 1st, 2nd, Robert Morris, January 15th, 16th, Green Bay, the 5th and the 6th of February, Wright State, February 12th, 13th, Away for Northern Kentucky will be Purdue-Fort Wayne, December 19th, 20th, IUPUI, January 8th, 9th, UIC, January 22nd, 23rd, Milwaukee, January 29th, January 30th, and Oakland, February 19th, February 20th. You know what Northern Kentucky doesn't have to deal with this year? I am wrong. I was going to say Green Bay, but I forgot I already mentioned them as a home team. Let's try to figure it out very quickly so I don't sound like an idiot. Uh, Detroit Mercy uh, for the women's side. Detroit Mercy is not on this schedule. Whereas, like I mentioned, Wright State, they don't have a Purdue Fort Wayne. So there you go. That is your look at Horizon League schedules for Wright State and Northern Kentucky because we do talk about both because they are in the area. It is nice that Northern Kentucky is broadcast on Cincinnati Radio. And, you know, when I'm in the area, I can listen to it on 1360. You know, I really like Cincinnati Sports Radio. I mentioned it uh, several times, but, you know, they get to hold uh, all three D1 schools, and that, that's pretty cool. So let's talk about the preseason poll for the Horizon League. This is from Goodman Hoops on Twitter. He's verified with a check mark, so you know it's verified. The preseason poll, Wright State, on top. 37 first place votes, 517 total votes. Second place, Youngstown State. If you told me this in college, I would have laughed in your face because Youngstown State, I mean, they were okay at best. But what, I think it's Coach Calhoun. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Coach Calhoun at Youngstown State. What he's done with the Penguins program, very impressive. So I I can't wait to see what the Penguins do. The Penguins get three first-place votes and 423 votes total. Third place with four first-place votes and 413 votes total. Norfolk, Kentucky, and the Norse which I was very surprised it wasn't Wright State NKU, but hey, 
It's a preseason poll. It's not, hey, this is what happened. Fourth place, newcomers to the league, Robert Morris. They pick up 345 votes. UIC in fifth place, 312 votes, which that'll be very interesting with the new coaching staff of UIC. And also Robert Morris being into Horizon League first time. I mean, Robert Morris just ran the NEC, the Northeast Conference. And I'm really looking forward to see what the Colonials can do in the Horizon League. For sixth place, you got the Oakland Golden Grizzlies, 288 votes, followed by Cleveland State, Green Bay, which you might know that Green Bay went through a coaching metamorphosis throughout the summer, and that really threw people for a loop. But I, I don't know what the Phoenix are going to be able to do. I mean, they had a lot of players leave, and you know, there's a new system. It's going to be interesting to see what the Phoenix do. Detroit Mercy in ninth place, Milwaukee 10th, Purdue Fort Wayne in 11th, and in 12th place, IUPUI. Now, you might wonder why, you know, IUPUI is picked last. Well, because the way Indiana University runs the athletic programs, remember IUPUI is a branch campus of IU and Purdue U, and they're kind of led by both feet. Indiana said, no, you can't hire anyone for this. We're under a hiring freeze. You, you, we got the coronavirus, and you're thinking about your men's basketball program? Pfft, get out of here. Selling tickets? What is that? So, yeah, uh, IUPUI hasn't been... I don't want to say it, because that sounds me, but IUPUI, just men's basketball side of things. You know, with the move to uh, the Indiana Farm... Is it called Indiana Farmers Coliseum? It's the place that the Indy Fuel plays. So, you know, the Garfield place. We'll just call it Garfield Arena. <laughs> Actually, I love that, being a fan of Garfield, but there you go. So, IUPUI is unable to hire a head coach. Therefore, the interim head coach is still the interim. And the Jaguars didn't have a great season last year. And it's going to be, I mean, again, this is preseason poll. So, maybe IUPUI will surprise everyone and, you know, just run away with the league. But I, I still think... Your top two will be Wright State, Northern Kentucky. And with Wright State playing two at Northern Kentucky, that makes it even more fun because, you know, you got your rival and you got to win two there. So, very interesting to see how the Horizon League will do. And I think it will be a great season for the HL. And we are over the hour mark, and I think I covered everything I wanted to talk about. Well, actually, no. There is one more thing that I like to talk about before we move on to high school playoffs. Trevor Bauer. You might know him for the Cincinnati Reds. You might know him for the strut he does when he walks off the mound after a strikeout. Well, the Reds gave him a qualifying offer, and Bauer rejected it. Which, you know, probably not the most surprising news. I was listening to Lance McAllister on the way home Wednesday night, and he was talking about why not just give Bauer a one-year $30 million deal? I don't know if Bauer will accept one year, because I... But at the same time, why not? I, I think if... You know, Bauer's going to be expensive. There's going to be teams calling for his services. He's a great starting pitcher, and he knows the game well, and his social media feeds, while I still don't agree with his politic views. At the same time, he knows. He knows how to grow the game. Why is he not? <laughs> Why is he not part of MLB trying to, you know, grow the game for those growing up? I don't know. It, it, it's pretty silly. But at the same time, you know, should the Reds go over Trevor Bauer? 
Yeah, I think so. I think he'd still be a great part of the starting rotation, whatever that might look like for 2021. Can the Reds afford him? Uh, I, I don't know. I should also mention, I think I mentioned this last week. I dreamt that I talked about this last week. But Nick Castellanos, he did not opt out, meaning he'll be a Red for next season. Although he does have an opt-out clause after the second year, too. So we'll see how that goes. Which I think for Castellanos was smart. He started off red hot for the Reds and then just kind of never caught back on. His batting average in Cincinnati was the lowest it's ever been in his career. So I think he's got a lot to prove this year. If he can get it back up, you know, maybe he'll leave after the second year, which I don't want him to. I want him to be a red. He's one of the first minor league players I watched when I got hired with the Dayton Dragons in 2011. He was with the West Michigan Whitecaps, and what a player he was. I mean, I I said, I know he's going to be a great player for Detroit. And he was. Then he got to Chicago, and then he's a red. So definitely, I hope the Reds can keep him. It's going to be interesting to see how this offseason works, especially with Dick Williams taking off for his family business and Nick Kroll now calling the shots. So I think we covered just about everything I wanted to cover as I check off everything. And now it's time for football. Okay, I won't do that. I'm sorry. Let's talk about your scores from last week. I'm sorry I didn't tweet these out, but uh, I got hectic over the weekend. We'll start with Division I, Region 2, and the Springfield Wildcats shut out the number four seeded Patriots of Olentangy Liberty 19 to nothing. I'll tell you who the Wildcats play in a little bit, Region 3. In the Battle of Columbus, it's Pickerington Central running against Westerville Central, 38-7. And the number one Tigers get Region 1's winner and number two mentor. And they'll play at New Philadelphia's Hayes Quaker Stadium tonight. Region 4, the Cincinnati Battle. This one was really close, as I expected it, because, you know, Lakota West and St. X. Two great teams. But the Bombers get a touchdown late in the fourth to knock off previously undefeated Lakota West 10-7. That means the three-seeded Bombers will get the three-seeded Wildcats of Springfield tonight at Piqua's Alexander Stadium. Wonderful facility. I highly recommend going out there and watching the game. It's quite nice. And whoever wins tonight's St. X Springfield battle will be playing for the title game next week at Fortress Opitz, like I mentioned previously in this episode. Again, that's in Southeast Columbus. And uh, I knew I should have written this down. I think it's close to State Route 104 if you're coming in from the West, but there you go. I'm sure there's signs. Division 2, you got a little bit longer of a wait for state title games, like I mentioned, two weeks, but... You still have some fun to talk about. Region 7, number 1, Massillon Perry holds off number 4, Olentangy, 14-10. to 10, And number 2, Massillon Washington holds off number 3, Westerville South, 45-36. To Region 8, number 1, Winton Woods, 20, number 4, Kings, 10. Now, this result surprised me, not, you know, because Winton Woods won. You know, Winton Woods is a very strong program, and I think most people expect Winton Woods to take on Akron Hoban for the D2 title. But again... You know, there's an opponent in the way. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Kingston have their lead running back, Ty Stilski, but they still manage. And a 10-point loss is nothing to hang your heads about. Would this have happened in week one if Kings didn't get the COVID? I 
Can't tell you because we'll never know. But what a matchup that was. And I hope that next year, Winton Woods and Kings do get to play for ECC fun. And the last result in Region 8, Division 2, is number 2, LaSalle, holding off number 6, Anderson, 55-30, despite Jackson Coon throwing for over 500 yards. Yeah. Like I mentioned, Jackson Coon, great player, but LaSalle, heck of a team. And <laughs> Winton Woods-LaSalle is going to be a great matchup. Not only will I be paying attention to Springfield St. X, but LaSalle-Winton Woods is definitely going to be an exciting one as well. And I believe that will be at... Winton Woods, but we'll check on that in a little bit. Division 3, Region 11. It's St. Francis of Sales. Rolling cost number 4, Jonathan Alder, 31-6. And Bishop Hartley, the second-seeded Hawks, defeat Thornville Sheridan, 10-6. And Region 12, the top seed is dethroned as number 5, Ross, comes into Greene County and ramages across Bellbrook, 41-19. to and number six, Alter, they upset number two, Hamilton Baden, 20-3. I tell you, Hamilton Baden, great season, but when Alter rolls, <laughs> it's hard to stop the Knights. That sets up Alter and Ross. That should be a very exciting matchup. Division four, Region 14, Van Wert also dethrones the top seed as the Cougars defeat Bellevue, 41-22. And number two, Shelby, stops number 11, Clyde's attempt to win back-to-back state titles with a 28-14 win over the Flyers. Region 15, you got top seed of St. Clairsville, defeating number four, Meadowbrook, 42-28. And number three, Bloom Carroll, 13. And number two, Licking Valley. I have it as 46. Let's check on that in a little bit, shall we? I think that's supposed to be six. But Region 16... Both these games went down to the wire, and number one, Clinton Massey, survives number four, Waverly, 31-28. And one I was watching quite heavily on social media, thanks to Scott Springer of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Number three, Wyoming, 34. Number seven, Valley View, 28. Two overtimes. I think Valley View was stopped on that first possession, second OT. I think that's how that went. But... Yeah, I mean, Valley View had a seven-point lead late, and then Wyoming scores with about a minute left to send it to OT. Both teams score in the first OT. Valley View fails to score in the second. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was going to be quite the shootout, and I was not disappointed. So, definitely, Clinton Massey, Wyoming, that's going to be fun in Division 4. Division 5, Region 18. Number 5, Eastwood ends North Union's run with a 2014 Eastwood win, and Ostego ends Ottawa Glandorf's run 21-6, 2 beats 3. Region 19, we have the top seed Ironton Tigers defeating Harvest Prep 21-14, and Wheelersburg handed a 13-10 loss by number 2, Ridgewood. Region 20, this game was a lot closer than I thought it would be, but Versailles, you can't count out the Tigers. They fall to Roger Bacon 31-28. Top seed Roger Bacon survives, and they'll get number 7 Springfield Shawnee, who takes down number 11 Marymount, 21-7. So it's the Springfield Shawnee Braves against the Spartans of Roger Bacon in Region 20. Division 6, Region 23, we have Fort Fry shutting out Barnesville, 34-0. And Fairland digging down Dawson Bryant, 27-12. Region 24, we have number 1 Coldwater. Rolling across number four, West Jefferson, 42-7. And the Kingsburg, a big win over Frankfurt Adena, 42-14.
So in Region 24, you got Coldwater Mechanicsburg. 1v2. Great matchup there. Division 7, Region 26, Lima Central Catholic ends Crestview's pretty historic run, 41-14. Lava upsets handed by Crestview. Unfortunately, not enough to hand the Thunderbirds an upset of their own. And number 6, Hopewell Loudon upsets number 2, Arlington, 42-35. Region 27 scores. You got Newark Catholic dethroning the top seed, Trimble, 35-19. And you have Shadyside, an upset with a 42-9 win over number 3, Hannibal River. And Region 28 to cap off the playoff scores. Marion Local flies across Riverside, 48-8. And New Bremen upsets Fort Loramie, 16-8. In a game where Fort Loramie had season lows in just about pretty much all categories. Pretty big win for the Cardinals. Now they get a matchup with their MACFO, Marion Local. And as you've been following along in this podcast, Marion Local is pretty good. New Bremen's really good as well. It's nice to see the Cardinals after you know years being in the bottom of the MAC. They're holding their own. And would this be a big exclamation point of a win if New Bremen could hand Marion local an upset? Absolutely. So Cardinals Flyers. That'll be one to watch. Non-playoff scores. We got the National Trail Twin Valley South Battle going the Blazers way, 33-14. Mississippi Valley edges Bradford, 16-13. Beaver Creek, 27. Xenia, 14. The Battle of Green County. Benjamin Logan, 34. Bell Fountain, 14. Fairmore, 41. Greenview, 13. And Sonia, 32. Bethel, 7. Triad, 41. Cedarville, 13. Milton Union, 36. Carlisle, 20. Troy was supposed to be at Sydney, but uh, you guessed it. C-O-V-I-D. That spells COVID. Brian, 40. Salina, 21. You might know as Brian being the home place of Spangler's Dum-Dums, where they make all the candy up there. Troy Christian, 42. Fisher Catholic, 7. Anna, 21. Covington, 13. Napoleon with a 28-0 win over Defiance. Minster, 27. Lima Shawnee, 21. Harden Norvin shuts out Upper Scioto Valley, 38-0. And Springfield Catholic Central, 42. Ridgemont, 0. It would be nice if you scroll down for more non-playoff scores. Southeastern, 23. East Clinton, 14. Little Miami, 56. Wilmington, 38. Eaton, 56. Dixie, 6. Belmont, 34. Thurgood Marshall, 0. Monroe, 42. Carroll, 26. Preble Shawnee was supposed to be at Northridge, but you guessed it. It's canceled. Northeastern, 24. Claremont, Northeastern, 14. The Battle of Northeasterns. Of course, Northeastern is in Clark County. Claremont, Northeastern. Well, it says Claremont. Liberty Union, 63. Batavia, 28. Edgewood, 55. Taft, 28. Madeira, 28. Bethel, Taint, 19. Northwest, 41. Aiken, 12. Loveland at Lebanon for the first ECC, ba- ECC battle between the Tigers and Warriors. Yeah, that got canceled. Hamilton, 41. West Claremont, 7. Walnut Hills edges out Oak Hills in the Battle of Hills, 30-27. to Moeller defeats Highlands out of Kentucky, 50-14. Harrison, 35. Taylor, 14. That's a great rivalry there. I don't know if Harrison's part of the Three Rivers School District, but they're pretty much right next to each other. Franklin, 25. Oakwood, 7. The Battle of Old 25, when U.S. 25 was a thing in Ohio, Michigan. Miamisburg, 44. West Carrollton, 27. Reading, 14. Norwood, 7. 
Dramatic pause. Summit Country Day 13, North College Hill 12, St. Bernard 22, Finneytown 9, Tippecanoe 34, Vandalia Butler 0, Ponitz 14, Dunbar 6, Williamsburg 30, I believe that's the first Wildcat win of the year, Clark Montessori 14, Hughes 36, Dome Prep 0, Western Hills 26, Gamble Montessori 2, and that's your scores. We move on to Indiana High School playoffs. We start off with Class 4A action in sectional 21. As Mount Vernon continues to win, they defeat Pendleton Heights 32-7. You might know Mount Vernon for ending Richmond's season last week. And Connorsville snapping a long losing streak to Muncie Central. They fall short to the Trojans of Newcastle 31-7. In sectional 23, we'll have Mooresville end East Central season 36-28. And Martinsville ends Greenwood season 34-28. We jump down to Class 2A in sectional 38. Heritage Christian will advance over Northeastern. You can probably thank the virus for that. And Shenandoah, 20, Indianapolis Cecina, 7. Indianapolis Cecina is the team that ended the Centerville Bulldogs season last week. Sectional 39, Providence gets a way to advance over Mitchell. Thank COVID for that. And Triton Central 35, Paoli 12. And to Class 1A, we have Sectional 43, South Adams 48, Mouth, excuse me, South Adams 48, Monroe Central 7. I was about to say Mount, not Monroe. Don't know what's wrong with me there. But the Star Files stay hot. And Madison Grant 28, tries Central 12. And last up, Sectional 47. Milan 35, try 21, North Decatur 42, Knightstown Zero. So I believe that's most of the local teams out of it in Indiana. And we mentioned South Adams from time to time, Shenandoah too. But yeah, we'll keep on rolling throughout the playoffs for Indiana. And now it's time to talk about local scores because Kentucky has yet to hit playoff time, but they're getting closer. It's week eight in the Bluegrass State. And we start off with Beachwood. Shutting out Newport Catholic, 45-0. Covington Catholic defeating Simon Kenton, 38-3. Holy Cross wins big over Ludlow, 63-30. Carroll County, 32. Dayton, Kentucky, 0. Holmes, 54. Bellevue, 14. Walton, Verona, 40. Louisville, Holy Cross, 28. Not sure how many Holy Crosses there are, but there you go. Woodford County, 62. Boone County, 20. Brossard, 41. Pendleton County, 12. Ryle 35, Cooper 14, and you remember Highlands fell to Moeller early on in this podcast. College football time. We got the Cincinnati Bearcats. They put a big redemption statement on their win over Memphis. 49-10, UC wins. And that will push Bearcats up to number six in the AP poll. And that also snapped a five-game losing streak to the Memphis Tigers. Also starting Maction this week. Can't believe the first play was an onside kick by Akron. And it got called back due to penalties. And Akron actually recovered. So if that penalty didn't happen, hey, you got Akron taking over possession on an onside kick to start the season. Miami, despite losing their quarterback to a tough hit early on in the game, they come back and they defeat the Ball State Cardinals 38-31. Nice to hear Steve Baker back on the mic. However, it was not on 980 WNE, which that is a big stunner there. And you have to question how many local sports is actually left on 980. 
dragons, and that's kind of it. Dayton Sports Station, yeah. Anyway, Miami, big statement win there, and also a little nice revenge from last year where Miami was handing Ball State the business, but then the Cardinals came back and just pecked the Red Hawks to oblivion. So, yeah, there's your local college scores. NFL scores. We'll save the first one for last because that was a big surprise for me, and it was fun to hear Dan Horde and Dave Lapham call this one on the radio. Indianapolis Colts 41, Detroit Lions 21. Steelers, they remain undefeated and take the AFC North top by defeating the Baltimore Ravens 28-24. That was a matchup I was really looking forward to. This one in Baltimore, they still have to meet up in Pittsburgh sometime. And the Cleveland Browns, they fall to the Raiders of Las Vegas 16-6. Still doesn't feel right saying the Las Vegas Raiders. And I know, I know, brand new stadium and everything like that, but it's just... It just doesn't feel right. I mean, is this the same feeling when Oakland moved to Los Angeles back in the 80s? I don't know. I wasn't alive for it, but there you go. So, yeah. Bengals 31, Titans of Tennessee 20. After losing their first game of the year to Pittsburgh last week, Tennessee just didn't look that great. I mean, yeah, 20 points. That's, you know, it's 20 points. But just... uh, Undefeated the first five games, fall to Pittsburgh in a closely contested battle, and this one not as close. Just this is the Bengals team I expected. I mean, I I honestly feel if things bounce Cincinnati's way, I mean we're looking at a different record. We're not looking at two five and one, but I just I I honestly think that. Can I talk about the offensive line? Great job. I mean, adding Quentin Spain, I was really hoping that the Bengals would do it once they saw Buffalo cut them, and they did. And what Dave Lapham said, big boy. I think he's over 300 pounds, 368, something like that. So, yeah, big boy in the line. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear the offensive line protect Joe Burrow. I want to hear the offensive line stopping just about everything. And you know what? I think we got it. Now, of course, the Bengals are on a bye this week, so... Next week, don't expect a lot of NFL talk. We'll talk, you know, the scores for the teams that the fans normally follow around here. But I just want to go through the stats. And I know we should be talking about the upcoming playoff games, and I wanted to hit soccer and volleyball up today, but I have to push that off to the side. I'm sorry. Maybe. I don't know. But going to the individual stats. Joe Burrow, 249 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Quarterback ranking of 106.7, which is nice. No, it's not a 300-yard passing game, but at the same time, look at the rushing. No Joe Mixon, but still 118 yards. Normally at that, I'd be like, oh, uh, but at the same time, I mean, two rushing touchdowns on 118 yards complement with 249 yards through the air. I mean, that's, hey. You look on the other side, rushing, yeah, 100-plus yards more for Tennessee. Derrick Henry, you know, King Henry, you know, run rushing touchdown. One. You hold one of the best running backs to 112 yards and one touchdown, I could live with that, you know? Because I thought Derrick Henry was just going to run over the Bengals. 112 yards and one touchdown for one of the best running backs in the league. I'm fine with that. I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but that's 
That's not bad. Tannehill on the other side, fairly similar numbers to uh, Burrow. 233 yards, 18 of 30. Two touchdowns, one pick. For a quarterback ranking of 92.8. And I think I heard the pick while I was getting in the car from Meyer shopping that day. So, who caught the touchdowns? Well, that would be Tyler Boyd of Cincinnati and Giovanni Bernard. Who both combined 16 yards, 3 catches for Bernard. 6 catches, 67 yards for Boyd. Auden Tate, 65 yards, 7 catches on 7 targets. Higgins, 6 catches, 78 yards to lead the team. And A.J. Green, after... Couple games where he really did a nice job. 19 yards, two catches. So a little bit of regression back the other way, but hey, still 249 yards from you know six. No, is that six? No, that's seven receivers registering yards on the day. So Jesse Bates has the lone interception for Cincinnati, one of the best safeties in the league. Uh, what more can I really say? Looking at the numbers, Tannehill was sacked once. Burrow? None. None. Tennessee, their defense is no slouch. I mean, if we can roll with this line, we can keep this momentum up. Week 10 at Pittsburgh. There's no sense that you know, people think the Bengals are dead. The Bengals going to reach the AFC North top? Uh, let's not get carried away there. But there's promise here. There's promise here. And you know what? I like it. Now, of course, Pittsburgh's a tough customer, especially in Pennsylvania. But at the same time, I, I'm really happy with this result. Because I was not expecting a Bengals win. I, I, I wasn't. Trying to look at it realistically. Now, of course, you know, rooting for Cincinnati sports, of course I want to see the Bengals win all the games. I want, you know, I want them to have the same success I have on retro game where, you know, the Bengals are always undefeated and winning retro bowls as they're called in the game. But that's not realistic. Let's be real. But at the same time, I like what, I like what, this Bengals team did. Look at A.J. Brown. He's a great receiver for Tennessee. 24 yards, 4 catches, 1 touchdown. I mean, I I think highly of A.J. Brown. And holding him that much? Now on the other side, Davis, he had himself a day. He took most of the chunk of yardage from Tannehill. 128 yards, 8 catches, 10 targets, 1 touchdown. So he had a great day. Rest of receivers, eh, you got Ferkser with 36 yards, Smith 29, and one catch for Raymond with 11 yards. That's kind of it. So, outside Davis for 128 yards, Davis actually has, what is that, 16 more yards than Henry ran for? So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I'm very happy about this win. And... I, I, I still don't know what to think about the whole coaching situation. And is, is Carl's Dunlap really the reason why the Bengals were struggling with the negativity in the locker room? I don't know. But I, I like, I, I hope this is the start of something beautiful, especially in the second half. So let us talk about the upcoming Ohio and Indiana playoff games. Like I mentioned, regional finals are tonight. And 
next week will be state titles for Division One, Divisions 2 through 7, you're going to have to wait another week. But, hey, are you really complaining? You got more football. So let us go back to the Max Preps brackets. Actually, no, we're going to skip that. We'll go to Division One Final Four. So I mentioned Mentor has Pickerington Central at New Philadelphia. I believe that's on the east end of the state. St. Xavier will have Springfield at Piqua High School. Winner of those games, both tonight at 7, will play next week at 7, next Friday at 7, at the Fortress. Fortress Obets. Now, I don't know. Fortress Obets has a YouTube uh, stream, and they streamed the Bishop Hartley game, which I was surprised they didn't have anyone broadcasting it. Like, it, it was just video streaming. You saw what happened and everything. Uh, I'm a little surprised they didn't, but will that be a thing? I don't know. Because, you know, Spectrum TV is going to have the state title games. No question. Let's talk about Region 7, Division 2. We go to the max prep brackets and close the pop-up ad that happens. Tonight, it's a battle of Massillon as Perry goes against Washington in the Region 7 championship game. Preview that game. And I have to sign in because, of course, I do. Tigers 8-1, Panthers 9-0. That's the Perry Panthers and the Washington Tigers. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty good battle. Now set up some pretty nice action next week. So that's the Battle of Maslin there, and Region 8, I already mentioned, Witten Woods versus LaSalle. I can't wait to see how these two teams tangle. These are two top Cincinnati teams, and whoever wins this game will represent Cincinnati well. I mean, I, I still worry about Akron Hoban. They're one of the top teams in Ohio, but I like Cincinnati's chances. Again, Witten Woods, LaSalle, and that will be... Tonight at 7. So, let's talk about Region 11 of District 3. We click on the little bracket and tell us that St. Francis Sales will get Bishop Hartley. Again, that's tonight at 7 as well. So, that's about Columbus there. Two private squads, Stallions against the Hawks. Should be a lot of fun to catch as we move on to Region 12. And we talk Ross Alter. Two teams coming off large upsets. Ross just, they ran crazy at Miami Valley South Stadium. I mean, I, I was quite surprised. Am I surprised that Ross had the upset? No, I'm surprised of the 41-19 score that the Rams left in western Greene County. And Hamilton Baden dropping it to Archbishop Alter. It's a closer game, but like I mentioned, when Alter's on a run... Uh, Alter's coming off a 42-0 win against Trotwood Madison. They shut out Trotwood Madison, of all teams. And you can make the excuse that, yeah, the Rams didn't start until week four. But at the same time, Trotwood is still Trotwood. You beat Trotwood, you have beat a quality opponent. So Alter and Ross, that's tonight for Region 12, Division 3. We move on to Division 4. A quick double-checking make sure if I talk about Region 14. Hey, I do. And it's number two, Shelby, taking on number five, Van Wart. Van Wart, they are, they're coming off an upset on top-seeded Bellevue. So, you know, 
Should be a good matchup there. Region 15, same division. We got St. Clairsville against Bloom Carroll out of the Columbus area. Should be a lot of fun, but St. Clairsville is a great team. So, tough task for Bloom Carroll for the upset, but should be a fun one. Region 15, Region 16. No, I mentioned you don't get Indian Hill, Wyoming this year. You did get Clinton Massey, Wyoming this year, which that's a great battle. I mean, Wyoming's coming off that two-overtime win against Valley View and Clinton Massey getting a field goal late to send Waverly off out of the season. Falcons and Cowboys should be a very exciting game. So it's one I'm definitely going to watch. Or I, I should say try to watch because I, I have hockey tomorrow. So it's one I'm going to be paying attention to. And that's tomorrow at 7. Remember, 4, 5, and 6 are Saturdays. 1, 2, 3, and 7 are Fridays. How about we move on to Division 5? Sounds good to me. Region 19 looks like this. Looks like a bracket. Oh, wait. They all do. Ironton gets Ridgewood. Now, there's no more local teams. There hasn't, well, Harvest Prep would have been the last team I talked about because Columbus area. But still, Ironton's a great team. And I love the fact that you know when Sycamore played the same Ironton team there, Ironton had nothing but great things to say about the Aviators and Sycamore High School as a whole. So that makes me happy. And Ironton, they're, they're a great football program. So definitely one to watch. We go to Region 20. And it's Roger Bacon, Springfield Shawnee, like I mentioned. And you look at the Springfield Shawnee side of the bracket. Just try to find that side of the bracket, actually. You know, pretty big upset against number two, Blanchester. I mean, you got a solid Springfield Shawnee team. And, you know, but you got Roger Bacon on the other side. I know, we always mention Corey Kiner, but it's not just the Corey Kiner show. That Spartans team is complete. And yes, the game against for sales is a lot closer than I predicted, but at the same time, it's hard to keep that Roger Bacon team down. So it's going to be interesting to see how those two teams reach up, reach, meet up in Region 20. Reach up. Yeah, I just said that. Division 6, Region 23. Again, Roger Bacon and Springfield Shawnee is tomorrow. For Region 23, Division 6, you got Fort Fry, Fort Fry even against Fairland. And Region 24, you'll have the Battle of Coldwater and Mechanicsburg. Like I mentioned, 1v2, as it should be. Division 7, Region 26, we're heading back into the Friday night games. Lima Central Catholic versus Hopewell Loudon. One versus six for the Region 26 championship. We go to Region 27. And we have Newark Catholic in the mix against Shadyside. Newark Catholic is the higher seed of the two. Five versus seven there. Pretty big upsets for Newark Catholic and Shadyside last week. And so five for the Region 27 final. And Region 28 looks like this. Marion Local New Bremen, again, Battle of the Midwest Athletic Conference. And like I mentioned, if New Bremen can hand Marin local loss, that's a statement. But uh, these Flyers just continue to fly. I mean, it, it's fascinating to me seeing, you know, such a small community, Maria Stein, and just the Flyers. When was the last down year for Marion local? Does anyone know? Because I don't. And just 
it's huge. It's amazing. Think how well Marion Local just restocks year in, year out. And also New Bremen as well. Like I mentioned, previous years, eh, towards the bottom of the Mac. But these past few years, New Bremen's been a tough customer. It's been nice to see. I mean, handing Fort Loramie a loss, yes, Fort Loramie's not on the Mac, but hey, that's a very quality Fort Loramie team. And beating them by eight, that's a huge win. So it'll be interesting to see how the Flyers and Cardinals deal. Again, that's tonight at 7. And now let's move on to Indiana to tell you a little bit about the playoffs there. We are going to go over two hours this week, and I'm sorry. It is such a large episode to talk about. I mentioned in sectional 21, the teams that we talk about, Richmond and Connersville, they're both out. But that final in sectional 21 will be Mount Vernon and Newcastle, and the winner of that will get Lebanon and Ron Cauley's winner, and both those games will be decided tonight, and then the winner will play next week at 7. Going to sectional 23 and that area. Again, all the local schools we talk about are gone. It's Martinsville, Mooresville, and the Battle of the Mvilles there. Winner of that gets sectional 24's winner of Evansville Central and Evansville Memorial. And that's your Class 4A look of the last regular season teams. Haven't fully decided if I'm going to continue talking about them because I'm pretty sure all the local Indiana teams I talk about are gone in the playoffs. We'll look at Class 2A now. Mentioned Heritage Christian advanced over Northeastern, which I forgot to mention. Northeastern is Fountain City, so that's in the local area. Northeastern could not play. So it's Heritage Heritage Christian and Shenandoah. Again, Shenandoah. Not entirely sure where that is. You know what? We're going to do some looking of where that is. If it is local, like in the Miami Valley type of thing, I'm going to feel embarrassed, but I don't think it is. Middletown, Indiana and Henry County. So technically, no, not in the area, but like I mentioned, Shenandoah is a common foe of the Tri-Eastern Conference teams. The only thing I don't like about Apple Maps is the fact it's right off 36, I see, in Henry County, so it's north of 70. Can I get a satellite view? Yes, I can. Look at that. I was about to say Apple Maps doesn't work well for me, but this is working okay. So yeah, Henry County, I think that's the county west of Wayne... Or is that two counties west of Wayne? It's one of the counties you go through when you're heading from Richmond to Indianapolis. I know that much, but there you go. The more you know. I guess we can follow Shenandoah for the time being as they take on Heritage Christian. Again, Shenandoah kind of helped uh, Centerville get a little revenge by knocking off Cecina 20-7 last week. I think there's a little bit more to talk about. Uh, Union County, they fell in the first week of the playoffs to Providence, and Providence is taking on Triton Central, who knocked off Switzerland County, a team we talked about. Paoli, a team we don't talk about, because, again, ask me to pinpoint it in Indiana. I'm just going to say, it's in there! And point to the state of Indiana. And that's in sectional 39, by the way. So Providence, Triton Central, they'll take on sectional 40's winner 
of Evansville Mater Day, a team, a school that I know a lot about because you hear them from time to time, and Lytton Stockton, a team that, a school that I did not know existed until this point. And let's look at, not hockey schedule, I wish, but let's talk about Class A to cover the loose ends of the local teams there. And then we'll talk a little bit of boys soccer, girls soccer, volleyball. We'll try to wrap it up quick because I know this episode is going to be super long, meaning it's going to be super long to edit and just, uh, it's okay though. As long as you get your coverage of local sports, that's all I care about. I was going to say, has there been any games in sectional 45 looking at class 1A? Because the top of the bracket, Covington forfeited against, you know, um, COVID. Then the winner of that, Cloverdale, they withdrew the next week against Park Heritage. Might be Parky Heritage, but that wouldn't make sense. So in sectional 45, Park Heritage gets South Putnam. Is there any local teams there? No, but it's something that caught my eye. However, in sectional 46, there was Edinburgh, a team we talked about a lot. They were knocked out the first week. Covenant Christian won that battle 75-7, then beat Park Tudor 44-12, and that sets up their battle against Indiana Luth- excuse me, Indianapolis Lutheran. So a battle of religious powers there in sectional 46. Winner gets the winner of Park Heritage South Putnam. I knew there was a reason I talked about that. Actually, no, I didn't. Milan is one of the local teams, as is North Decatur. We've talked about. They're in sectional 47, and they play tonight at 7. And the winner of that gets sectional 48's winner of West Washington and Perry Central. I know West Washington because I voted for their helmet in the Indiana High School Football Helmet Challenge, which ran about the same time as Ohio's did. Looking to make sure I covered my loose ends. Uh, not that's Adams Central, not South Adams. I mentioned the Starfires of South Adams, one of my favorite names in athletics. They get Mass and Grant tonight, and the winner of sectional 43 gets the winner of sectional 44, Adams Central or Southwood. And that's it. That's your look at. Oh, no, that's not local. I'm sorry. And that's your look at Indiana high school football playoffs. And now to close out episode 189, because this episode has not gone on enough, I want to cover boys soccer, girls soccer, and volleyball playoff updates. Now, I've been following along the Wyoming Cowboys, led by head coach Adam Jones. They're rocking, as always. Monroe and the Hornets, they're doing great work. I saw that Centerville both... Actually, I know the boys soccer defeated Mason 2-1, but I forget the girls soccer Elks won. I think they lost against Mason. We'll find out together, won't we? Hey, let's talk about Division 3. Do I have a regional tournament bracket yet? That probably is a good question to ask. Not recording? Hey, I do. That's awesome. So let's talk about Region 12 in Division 3. We're going backwards on this because fanciness or something. This is boys soccer. We'll do boys soccer, girls soccer, volleyball, and sign off for the week. So in Region 12, we have Marymont and Troy Christian. And the Warriors of Marymont take down the Eagles 2-1. to one. And on the bomb side of the bracket, Bakkins and the Trojans. We don't talk about Bakkins a lot because Bakkins does not have football, but they have football, and they have to be very good at it. You know how I know? Because Bakkins upsets Columbus Academy at Columbus Academy 2-1 to one in overtime. So that sets up Marymont and Bakkins for Region 12 action. And that'll be at Marymont... Tomorrow night at 7. And then the winner of Marymont Bakkins will get the winner of Wheelersburg and Grandview Heights in Region 11 action. 
looking to see. Well, Region 10, there's a Northern team to talk about. Continental, but they fell to Mount Blanchard Riverdale 2-0. And Mount Blanchard Riverdale gets Ottawa Hills, who defeated Kidron Central Christian 3-0. And the winner of that battle gets the winner of Region 9's Canfield South Range against Youngstown Cardinal Mooney. So that is Boys Soccer Region 3. About Division 2's bracket? Why, yes, sir. Let's talk about that. As we scroll to Region 8, Tippecanoe. Remember last year, the Red Devils. They ended my broadcasting season with ESP last season as they took down the Wyoming Cowboys and PKs in Xenia. But this time, no doubt for the Red Devils, they shut out St. Francis of Sales at Columbus 3-0. So what's the reward for Tippecanoe? Well... It's not Wyoming. Wyoming actually fell in overtime to Summit Country Day at Wyoming, 2-1. to one. So that sets up Summit Country Day and Tippecanoe. If you remember Summit Country Day from previous years, they are dynamite at soccer. In fact, I can recall retweeting videos from, I think it was the Inquirer, might have been another media outlet in Cincinnati, of police escorts leading the Summit Country Day soccer teams, both boys and girls, out of Cincinnati. So that's really cool. But not quite that time yet. Summit Country Day has Tippecanoe at Tippecanoe. And that's Region 8. Winner of Tippecanoe Summit Country Day will get either Albany Alexander, who defeated Chillicothe Unito 4-3, or Dover, who shut out New Philadelphia 1-0. Looking at the top of the bracket, there are some northern schools to talk about. Granville and Columbus, they were shut out by Lexington at Lexington 3-0 in Region 6 action. And Lima Shawnee does a little shutout action of their own at home against Toledo Central Catholic 3-0. And that'll set up Lexington Lima Shawnee at Lexington tomorrow afternoon at 3. Winner of Lexington Lima Shawnee gets Warren Howland or Chagrin Falls. <laughs> I always laugh when I see Chagrin Falls because one of the members of then Dayton Flyers baseball coaching staff told me I was saying it wrong. But I was like, how do I know? I don't, I've never heard of that town before. Chagrin Falls. Because I was like, Chagrin Falls. Because, you know, Chagrin. There you go. But, no, it's Chagrin. The more I know. So, we look at Division One boys soccer. How close are we to Mafre Stadium? Well, pretty much two matches to get to the state title game. And those will be played, looks like, in two weekends as well. How about Division One Region 4? Well, you got the St. Xavier Bombers shutting out Sycamore. 1-0. And you have Centerville taken to the Mason late at Centerville, 2-1. In fact, if I remember right, the Elks and Rob Demet, the uh, AD for CHS, moved the Centerville soccer games to Centerville Stadium. That's the home of Elks football, normally not soccer. Centerville plays a soccer alumni stadium behind a Masick Middle School, which is a beautiful field, beautiful scenery. But why did Centerville do this? Well, there's more seating. And there's more ample chances to social distance and more tickets can be sold. So there you go. So that was really cool. So hats off to Centerville for that. So that sets up St. Xavier Centerville. Sounds like a hockey matchup. The Bombers will host the Elks. And the winner of St. X and Centerville will get either Thomas Worthington, who's coming off an overtime win against Olentangy Berlin 1-0, or New Albany, who's coming off a 2-1 win against Pickerington North at home. 
So what's on the top side of D1's boys' soccer bracket? Well, I'm glad you asked. You have Hudson falling to Maslin Jackson 2-1. I believe that's the Jackson Polar Bears. And you have St. Ignatius rolling across Solon at home 4-1. That sets up Jackson St. Ignatius. Winner of that gets Medina, who shuts out Avon Lake 4-0. And Finley in the Trojans, who wins in a shootout against Anthony Wayne 1-0 at Finley. So that's your boys' soccer action. Let's talk about girls' soccer brackets. How do I get back? Ah, like that. So let's talk about girls' soccer action now. It is very nice that we have the regional brackets up just like that. And we'll start again at Division 3 just because it's that type of episode. Region 12, Division 3 will be represented both by Cincinnati Schools and Marymount and Cincinnati Country Day. Cincinnati Country Day, they were formerly the Indians, but they're still going through a rebranding process, so it's just CCD Athletics for the time being. It doesn't matter what you call them because they defeat Waynesville 3-1 at Waynesville. And Cincinnati Country Day has yet to lose the girls' soccer team. And they will face Marymount, who has also yet to lose as well, as the Warriors shut out the Amazons of Marymount 4-0. It's still weird to me. I always thought that I, I never knew Madeira went by two different names for boys and girls athletics, but I learned it this year. The more you know. Anyway, Marymont with a home 4-0 win against Madeira. That sets up 16-0-3 Marymont against 15-0-4 Cincinnati Country Day at Marymont. Winner of that game will get 16-4-0 Lynchburg Clay hosting 10-3-2 Columbus Academy. The Vikings of Columbus Academy, they were shootout winners over Berlin Highland 1-0 at Berlin Highland. And Lynchburg Clay put up a five spot on the board by shutting out Wheelersburg 5-0. So that should be a fun one to watch. Top of the bracket, Region 9, you'll have Kirtland representing against Canfield South Range at Mentor High School. And Region 10 will have Liberty Benton against Pemberville Eastwood. Pemberville, that's a cool name. So let's talk some Division 2. I was going to say region there for a minute. I'm sorry. Division 2's girls' soccer bracket looks like this for Region 8. 17-2-1 Monroe against 12-3-3 Oakwood. Yes, that's a Southwestern Buckeye League battle. Yes, both those soccer teams rock. And yes, that'll be a good one to watch at Monroe tomorrow at 7 in the evening. How did the Hornets and the Lumberjills get there? Well, for Oakwood's case, they had to shut out Bishop Hartley at home 2-0, and Monroe had to shut out Hamilton Bain at home 1-0. That'll be a fun matchup. Who does the winner of Monroe-Oakwood get next match on the 10th? Well, that will be currently undefeated Granville or 12-5-3 Dover. Granville shut out Unito by a 5-0 margin on the road, and St. Clairsville fell short at home to Dover, 4-0. On the top of the bracket, you have Richfield Revere against Rocky River. Not be fused with Rocky Road, the ice cream. Rocky Road, the game, the ice cream, the TV series. And that'll be at Revere. Winner of that gets either St. Mary's by a 3-2 overtime win against Mentor Lake Catholic, or Mansfield Masson Comp who shut out Toledo Central Catholic on the road 
And now, Division 1, make your drum noises here as I pull up the bracket and tell you, once it loads, Region 4 will be represented by Lakota West and Centerville. So I was, I was right. I thought Centerville won that, but I thought Mason came back. So, pretty nice week for the Elk soccer teams, eh? The Elk women's soccer team is 21-1. Lakota West is the defending state title winners. And they have to be very, very good. Lakota West will get Centerville at Lakota West. Centerville knocked off Mason in OT 2-1. Lakota West knocked off Cincinnati Mount Notre Dame 3-2. Who gets what next for Lakota West Centerville's winner? Well, they either get Olin Tangy, who knocked off Upper Arlington at Upper Arlington 3-1, or Bishop Watterson, who shot out and won in shootout against Pickerington North 1-0. On the top of the bracket, regions one and two, you have Strongsville against Archbishop Hoban, Akron Hoban, you know, the football team I mentioned earlier. And the winner of Strongsville Hoban will get Avon or Anthony Wayne. And that is girls soccer, which leaves us with one final sport, volleyball. It's so sad to see that fall sports are ending, but it's nice to see that for the most part, yes, there's been cancellations. It's been okay. It is a little sad to hear that the state title games will be a right state, but you know what? Vandalia Butler's got a beautiful gymnasium, and Jordan Schumacher, the AD for Vandalia Butler, great guy. And I always like talking to him when we have the Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association's holiday tournament, but it looks like that's not a thing this year. One more match to get to Vandalia Butler. We start in uh, these regions all mixed up. Thanks for that. Region 16. Normally it's supposed to be biggest number on the bottom and it's nothing like that in this bracket. It will be represented by Rushi and New Bremen and they'll have one match at Northmont High School. That'll be tomorrow afternoon at 2. The Rushi Raiders. They won in 5 against Fort Loramie at Northmont. New Bremen won in four against Tri-Village. So the Rushi Raiders and the New Bremen Cardinals will tangle at Northmont tomorrow at two. Now, the victorious Raiders or Cardinals will either get Newark Catholic or South Webster. That's at New Lexington High School to represent Region 15. And on the bottom of the bracket, we have Tiffin Calvert winning in four against Fort Recovery against Lepsic or Pioneer North Central. Lipsick won in three straight sweats at Elida. So Tiffin Calvert will take on Lipsick at Elida High School for Region 14. Region 13 is Monroeville against Dalton. Monroeville is Northwest Ohio, no relation to Monroe, possibly. Dalton swept Mineral Ridge. Monroeville swept Wellsville. And that's your Division 4 look. Let's go to Division 3, shall we? Load that beautiful page. And double-check to make sure I'm not going to say the wrong regions. Region 12 will take on the winner of Region 10. And who's representing Region 12 locally? Well, that's your Versailles Tigers against Cincinnati Hills Christian Academy. And this will be played tomorrow afternoon at Fairmont High School. Versailles swept McNicholas in three. And CHCA swept North Union in three, both at Fairmont. One more match for the Tigers and CHCA to get to Butler. And the winner of the Tigers 
and Eagles will get the winner of Huron and Johnstown Northridge. Not to be confused with Dayton Northridge. Johnstown Northridge defeated Ottawa Glandorf in four. Huron defeated Defiance Tenor in four. And both of those were at Lake High School, Mulberry. Region 9 on the top of the bracket will be represented by Independence and Smithville at Barberton High School. Smithville swept Columbiana Crestview. Kirtland was swept by Independence. Winner of that will get Zorville Tuscaroras Valley or Frankfurt Adena. Frankfurt Adena won in four against Williamsport Westfall. And Tuscaroras Valley pulled off a five-set win against Wheelersburg. To Division 2 we go. Region 8. Pull up the beautiful bracket. Will be represented by Tippecanoe and Roger Bacon. And this will be played at Centerville tomorrow night at 7. The Spartans and the Red Devils will take on either the winner of Sandusky Perkins or Gates Mills Gilmore Academy. How did the Red Devils and Spartans get there? Well, Roger Bacon won in four against Hamilton Baden. And Tippecanoe swept Fenwick in three. Perkins won in five against Mommy. And Gilmore Academy won in five against Bishop Hartley. The top of the Division II bracket looks like this. Thornville Sheridan won in four against Meadowbrook and have the right to take on Jonathan Alder, who also won in four against Dover at Pickerington North. And Region 5 will send in Chardon Notre Dame Caffrell Latin against Akron Coventry, who swept Talmadge and Notre Dame Catholic Cathedral, excuse me, swept Lake Catholic. Now we got Division 1. We're getting closer to the end of this episode. See, I can do drum noises too. I just don't want to. Have I really been recording for two hours? Oh my goodness, I have. I had no plans of recording for two hours, but hey, we got local sports in. A lot more than you'll hear on local radio. So Region 4 is represented by Ursuline Academy in Cincinnati and Mount Notre Dame in Cincinnati. And that will be played at Lakota West before the winner goes to Butler High School. How did those teams get there? Well, Ursuline Academy swept Seton, and St. Ursula Academy fell in four to Mount Notre Dame, both at Lakota West. Who will either Ursuline Academy or Mount Notre Dame take on next time on the 13th? So that will be next Friday. Well... They'll get the Region 2 winner of Olmsted Falls or Cleveland St. Joseph Academy. St. Joseph Academy swept Toledo North, excuse me, Toledo Notre Dame Academy, and Olmsted Falls won in four against Sylvania Northview. The top of the bracket, Region 3, will be represented by Olentangy Orange and Bishop Watterson. The Eagles of Bishop Watterson swept Olentangy Liberty. The Pioneers of Olentangy Orange swept St. Francis of Sales. Winner of the Pioneers and Eagles battle at Hilliard Darby High School will get the winner of Parma Padua Franciscan or Maslin Jackson. Maslin Jackson won in four against Nordonia. Padua Franciscan won in three against Riverside Painesville. And that is your update. We are so close to handing out state titles. Probably not next episode, but Two episodes from now, which might be 191, unless I plan on doing what I thought about doing. It's a surprise. But we'll talk about that as the episodes come up. And that is it. That is it. That's episode 189 in the books. And yes, I know it's two hours going on. 
But holy snikes, there was a lot to talk about. You know, COVID has really thrown a wrench into local sports, but it hasn't stopped them. Remember that when you listen to local sports radio and you think the only thing in town is Ohio State and the Browns and bashing the Bengals. So hopefully we'll get to see a little bit more college basketball because, yeah, that is supposed to start soon. And we'll talk about Dayton, Miami, Cincinnati, and Xavier. Hope to talk about that. Don't know when information comes out. Plus, you know, all the other local schools because, you know, they're still playing. And we have ice hockey starting tonight. Woo! And actually tomorrow for the local Springboro Panthers, they'll host Gehanna Lincoln. And depending on what South Metro is doing for the social distancing aspect, you can hear my broadcast. Link will come later on. And the regular season will start Friday, November 20th for the Panthers as they'll take on former conference foe, the Alternites. And that will completely do it. I will say I did see that ESPN 1410 has one hour of, uh, what is it? The Loud Pow- Podcast. Podcast. The Loud Podcast. So, you know, one hour of not talking Ohio State. It's talking about Dayton Flyers, which, cool. But this has been the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast, episode 189. And we'll talk to you again for episode 190, wherever that might be. Enjoy your local sports. There's plenty to go around on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark SindayPod.com, the official website of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. You can also find the Redbubble and Tee Public shops there too, where all podcast merchandise purchases go to help the podcaster. Follow on social media at Sunday Pod and the Lead W Mowen on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This closing theme was created with the Splash app. This is Lee W Mowen saying thank you again for listening, and we'll talk more local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports next time. <laughs>